You're listening to United Nations Association in Canada's Between Two Flags podcast series. UNA Canada's mandate is to educate and engage Canadians on the work of the UN and international issues of importance to us all. Through regular sessions, UNA Canada invites subject matter experts to discuss a wide range of issues related to the Sustainable Development Goals and the UN's work. Live tweet as you listen with hashtag Between Two Flags. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's session of Between Two Flags. Hi, I'm Melissa Mutunda, Green Corps Project Officer, and I'm here with... Here with Ian Chow, and I'm also the Project Officer with the Canada Green Corps Program. We'll be discussing issues around energy and resilient communities with our guest speaker today, John Parkings. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. John, you could start by introducing yourself and give us the background of your work. Sure. My background is uh, in the field of environmental and rural sociology. Uh, so I'm a professor uh, at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, and I work in the Department of Resource Economics and Environmental Sociology. Uh, so I teach and uh, conduct research in the area of uh, rural community development, um, agricultural sustainability, um, and uh, I put a lot of my efforts into uh, research questions related to energy transition to uh, renewable energy resources. So uh, currently we have a project that's focused in Alberta looking at some of the opportunities as well as challenges uh, in developing wind energy technology in the province. So that's an area of, uh, of interest for me right now. Thank you so much for that. I think energy literacy is such an important topic right now in Canada, especially with the ongoing threat of increasing gas emission. How can policymakers in Canada increase energy literacy through community-based energy efficiency initiatives? Interesting question. I was curious about the uh, focus on policymakers to increase uh, energy literacy. My first reaction is that I'm not sure that it's always policymakers uh, who should be uh, at the forefront of increasing literacy. I can understand there's a role for policymakers there. Uh, in some parts of Canada uh, where energy efficiency is a priority, uh, the public utilities, uh, the hydro companies for instance, uh, in New Brunswick and, and other provinces are really leading. Uh, in this regard because there's an interest in uh, creating more efficiency in their um, energy consumption uh, which would allow them to extend uh, you know the capacities of their current energy production systems and I'm talking about electricity production in particular uh, the other thing to say is that we don't we don't really know much about our energy systems on average Canadians are really fairly uninformed um, about uh, energy and so literacy really is quite low uh, for instance uh, in in Alberta when we turn on the lights um, where does the power come from uh, and when we ask this question uh, in some of our survey research we did a, a national survey uh, a couple of years ago um, we asked questions about energy literacy and we asked people some factual questions for instance um, uh, how much electricity is produced by hydro uh, in their province and 
sort of over 40% of respondents answered that question correctly in Alberta um, and in Quebec, but less than 20% answered that question correctly in New Brunswick, Ontario and Saskatchewan. So really I think that um, literacy is very low and it is a concern of ours, which is why we uh, we're looking at this issue in our own research. Um, so to your question about, you know, how do we enhance or how should policymakers help to enhance energy efficiency programs, there's probably a number of really good um, ways that this could could be done, but I, I, would, I would focus on one uh, opportunity, and that relates to the visibility of the renewable energy technology. So if we think about solar um, power, uh, for example, our research shows that visibility of solar panels um, and solar technology really matters. It stimulates interest in the public uh, and a desire for more knowledge. So I think uh, demonstration projects, uh, showing people how these technologies work, what they look like, how it might make a difference in their lives. I think these, um, these visibility uh, enhancing um, demonstration projects are important. So uh, putting solar on uh, community uh, uh, organization rooftops, so community leagues in, in Edmonton, for instance, every neighborhood has a community league building. So um, putting solar on buildings, putting solar on churches, schools, these are starting points for people to actually visibly kind of identify with the technology to become interested, start asking questions and become um, more energy literate as a result of uh, these kinds of efforts. So I think that visibility piece is one way or one opportunity for policymakers to really incentivize communities to, uh, to really be leaders in the area of uh, demonstrating uh, renewable energy technologies. So that's uh, one area that I thought would be potentially valuable with regard to improving energy literacy. Thank you so much for that. It's quite interesting that you gave us some example of renewable energy technologies that people could use to enhance community-based uh, initiatives. Perhaps could you give us some examples of successful community-based governance in Canada and if you could tell us more about what are the barriers to invest in such technologies? Um, first off, it's important to note that renewable energy technologies like solar and wind and also geothermal and potentially biofuels, biomass resources, uh, these technologies um, have great potential for community-based uh, governance or community-based ownership and control uh, because these technologies are scalable. So by that I mean uh, unlike conventional uh, electricity production uh, that is large scale and uh, very centralized like uh, hydroelectric dams or um, coal-fired power plants in Alberta, for instance, uh, renewable energy can, can be scaled to the community level. You can have a neighborhood uh, solar grid, um, or you can have a neighborhood district heating with uh, geothermal, or you could have a wind turbine, wind farm that can be owned uh, in part by communities. So I think there's a lot of potential for community-based uh, governance of renewables and the scale of, uh, of 
renewable energy is one of the reasons for that. Having said that, we don't have many examples across Canada compared to other parts of the world. So, for instance, um, in Ontario with wind power development, um, recent studies of Ontario wind uh, call for better financial benefit distribution mechanisms. So currently there are um, kind of relationships to communities that are f fairly superficial. So uh, companies may be interested in providing some kind of vibrancy fund or a you know a small grant to um, to distribute some benefits to the community um, but these are often perceived as bribes by communities and so um, research in Ontario recent research in Ontario published research is calling for um, sort of much more creative and more innovative benefit distribution mechanisms like community-based governance and then our work in Alberta suggests that wind energy is opposed by a lot of host communities and landowners because benefits are perceived to be inequitable. So I think there's a lot of potential there for uh, further development of community-based governance. Um, and there is some efforts, uh, there are some signs that things are changing. So there, there are some jurisdictions in Canada that are looking at municipal uh, government mandates so um, policymakers can mandate a percentage of renewables that need to have community governance uh, or a percentage of ownership and control by the community. Um, in terms of some of the challenges and issues obviously financial capital you know investment is a challenge uh, for some communities um, but also a lack of experience and we just don't have uh, many good examples in Canada of community-based governance in renewable energy. So um, people, communities, they often just don't know what's possible um, and they don't know too much about what's being done in other parts of the world. Uh, so I think that's a, a barrier as well. But as I said, I think this is starting to change. Uh, communities obviously see opportunities here because of the scalability of renewables um, and the possibilities for uh, transitioning. And so just one example I'll point to uh, that I'm aware of, uh, there's a study uh, published recently by Loomis Energy uh, that identifies 152 renewable energy projects across Canada within uh, Indigenous communities or with Indigenous involvement. And that involvement includes uh, investment as well as direct employment opportunities for uh, indigenous communities. So I think those are really some promising signs that uh, indigenous and non-indigenous communities are really uh, interested in renewable technologies and um, currently in our in our research uh, here at the University of Alberta we're just starting to uh, develop a, um, a national study that would uh, try to look at uh, the intentions of municipalities across Canada to uh, to develop renewable technology. So we'll be looking at this in a, in more detail in the months ahead. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, you actually answered a few questions I had in mind regarding Indigenous communities and how to get that kind of involvement going. And with that, uh, there's nearly a third of Canadians who do not think humans cause climate change and they also believe that taking action on climate change will negatively affect the national economy. 
How can the government change the, this narrative uh, while trying to encourage and maintain the use of renewable energy technologies? Yeah, that's a really timely question as well. Um, just given that, you know, we're uh, we're looking at news stories this week about uh, new research, national research, uh, showing how uh, Canadians really are. Many Canadians really are not convinced by the. You know the the science of climate change. They don't see it um, as um, human caused climate change, and therefore don't really see any sense of responsibility. And I think this really is a problem. And I worry about this issue a lot. And when I talk to people about um, energy transition and you know, moving to renewables, uh, my sense is that uh, people's desire for or willingness to um, to participate in this conversation around renewables and to poten potentially even make some s sacrifices in their own life in terms of how they consume energy, um, their view, people's view on this issue really is governed um, a great deal by their sense of urgency around the climate science and, cli and the need for responding to a changing climate. Um, so I think we can't really underestimate the importance of this conversation. So it really is a big problem, and I don't have any uh, direct uh, kind of answers answers that can solve the problem. Um, but a few thoughts, a few ideas um, that might be helpful here. Um, uh, in my reading on this issue and in my own experience, um, I think that the narrative around sort of climate denial or climate skepticism is really not about the science of climate change at all. Um, if you look at the science, you know, it's it's really quite conclusive. Uh, so we have to look at other reasons for people, um, you know, who, who really continue to uh, resist uh, this sort of scientific evidence. And research shows that uh, your views on climate change are really connected mostly, uh, overwhelmingly really, to your political orientation, whether you're liberal or conservative, if we want to use those terms. So your politics, really informs your view on climate change and also, importantly, your religious commitments. And so, um, so I think if, if we're going to have conversations that really are more effective within communities, we really need to also be talking about the way in which these issues are kind of wrapped up in our politics and in our faith communities. So I think we can also look at the way um, that um, the that climate science um, uh, is you know is is challenging to talk about with people because it doesn't really involve um, people and their lives and their livelihoods. Um, so um, we need to really make progress partly by sort of bringing a narrative of people's lives and what uh, it means for them going forward into the future to be sort of in a society and in an economy uh, that is really um, a more renewable energy economy. So in Alberta, for instance, uh, what does it mean for, um, for people in, in urban and in rural Alberta uh, to be a part of a renewable energy landscape and to be a part of a, a renewable energy economy? And I think for many uh, people, there's... Um, a lot of uncertainty, if not fear, around that future because they just don't see themselves 
in that in that future you know there there's a sense that you know the you know the good life in in Alberta is tied to the fossil fuel economy and to a degree they are right and it um, it's difficult to imagine how that good life will continue in a renewable energy economy so I think developing more narratives working with communities working with people to really understand what their life will be like uh, moving forward in this new renewable energy economy is is an important part of the conversation and I think will be helpful in sort of moving that conversation forward. Yeah, that actually really resonated with me, what uh, you said about individuals not being able to connect with the climate science. And we need that discussion of how it affects people's lives. Uh, Just anecdotally, earlier this week, I was speaking with a mayor uh, in the surrounding uh, municipalities of Ottawa. We had a discussion surrounding climate change. The mayor was a climate denier, but uh, we did find common ground in the sense that there should be better stewardship. And this is uh, something that we both agreed on to really talk about this discussion. And moving with that, uh, he is actually very interested in engaging the youth and, uh, and he would host every year in April a cleanup day. Um, and this kind of leads into the question, how, how can the energy sector along, I suppose, with uh, the municipalities or uh, public figures engage the youth into sustainability? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, the question is interesting also in that, you know, we're focused on the energy sector and I assume, you know, we're talking about the energy industry or energy companies when we say the energy sector, but maybe even more broadly, the energy sector, including regulators and utilities, and you know a lot of the the institutions and organizations associated with energy development in the um, in the country. Um, so, you know, one of the ways that you know one of the reasons for engaging youth is that obviously they represent new energy, sort of new human resources and new ideas uh, in terms of how we should respond to the challenges of climate change and what our future should look like. And young people also have a longer investment in the future and in uh, the kinds of worlds they want to live in. Um, One of the easy answers to the question is uh, for the energy sector to support uh, groups that are currently engaging young people around these issues. So one group that I'm familiar with is called uh, Student Energy, um, and they have chapters uh, across the country at universities. Um, So these student energy groups um, are really focused on hosting really meaningful conversations around energy development um, and renewable energy technologies. So they're not, student energy is not just focused on renewables per se, um, they're focused on meaningful conversations between conventional, um, you know, energy production, fossil fuel production, and renewable energy technologies in a way that really how allows students to become literate about our energy systems, to become aware of issues, and to form their own opinions or revise their opinions based on um, based on information uh, that they gather through these student energy uh, workshops and conferences that are held across the country. So I think 
supporting groups like Student Energy. I'm sure there are others. Um, and then maybe lastly, I'll say that, you know, the energy sector, you know, if, if they want more youth engagement, more young people talking about issues of sustainability, I think uh, we really do need to take uh, the question of sustainability even more seriously, you know, so that young people actually uh, see that this is a serious conversation, um, making commitments uh, to meet our our greenhouse gas emissions targets as a country and um, as provinces across the uh, the country, um, and to provide leadership in in this energy transition. And you know, um, this week on in the news, we've seen um, polling results that show that you know many Canadians don't think that humans cause climate change. Uh, we also know that there's even less certainty around what to do about climate change if we do believe uh, that it is an issue. Um, and the other research um, evidence that has come out this week is that we are going to miss our greenhouse gas emissions targets as a country by a long shot, right? So currently we're not even really having um, serious conversations about uh, sustainability uh, because we are you know, still on a clear path towards an unsustainable future with regard to uh, climate change. So, so to getting more serious about that conversation um, and really talking about meaningful change, I think is going to be one of the key, um, key criteria for engaging youth who really do want to have these kinds of uh, meaningful conversations uh, with the energy sector. Yeah, fantastic. That, uh, those are some very insightful comments you had there, actually. Um, we'd like to respect your time. Um, uh, those are our questions from our side. I'll hand it back over to Melissa. Yeah, this was a very informative conversation. Thank you so much, Joan, for sharing with us your views on uh, energy literacy in Canada and how the country is trying to expand renewable energy into remote communities. You've also mentioned that your research team is trying to do a national study that will look at intentions of communities to invest in in clean energy and uh, perhaps this is something that you could share with us once it's published we will greatly appreciate that yeah sure um, a lot of the the work that we are doing here at the university of alberta is supported through a fairly large uh, uh, project um, interdisciplinary project called future energy systems uh, so if people are interested in learning more about um, our work here um, at the U of A, uh, they can Google Future Energy Systems Alberta and um, there'll be a lot of information there about uh, different technologies, um, a lot of technology focused research on issues like wind and geothermal, mm -hmm. um, but also a lot of uh, social sciences and humanities research also going on about um, you know, how these transitions will take place, how we imagine the future to be. Um, and what some of the challenges might be in implementing these technologies uh, as we move forward. Uh, so I'd be happy to share um, more results of that work uh, in the months and years ahead. Thank you so much for that. We're going to host a panel discussion on energy sometime around July or August, and we'll definitely be sure to reach out to you. 
um, I can speak for myself and, and Ian here that this was a very informative talk and thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me to participate. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. And please remember, just keep grinning.